Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Behind the Journey. This is a show where myself and Sam Spencer discuss all the things going on my business journey. And today we talk about money. We were discussing just before we started recording this podcast, what content should we do for the podcast? And we decided that money is a real taboo because people don't like talking about it. People hate talking about money. And I think especially in business, people don't want to disclose money. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with this uh, podcast now, you know, behind the journey is that normally me and Sam would just walk into a room and just spitball whatever's on our mind. And I've, I've always loved that concept with the podcast. Um, but as myself and Sam have sat down and completely changed how the, how the content is done, uh, we want to have kind of more of a... Um, sort of backbone to the content something we want to discuss and some taboo topics and the thing with with behind the journey in its sense is that you know any question you can ask like anything and we'll give you the exact answer um in the most deep way because i just want to kind of provide value on this journey that is entrepreneurship and the big one was was money i think a lot of people you know will ask questions about you know how much do you pay your first member of staff like how much should you pay yourself as an entrepreneur? Um, what should you keep your bank balance at? All these are questions that, that, that there's no real conventional answer. These are things that we've learned along the way or had advisors that have told us about it. And I think one kind of 30-minute podcast on, on money as a whole holistic view for businesses would be really interesting and really helpful. But before we dive into it, I want to tell you about my awkward moment I did yesterday because I think this is really funny. And actually, when I figured this out, I laughed at myself for a long time. Sam knows this already, so I'm just going to describe it to everyone listening uh, at home. Essentially, uh, we've been in this office for uh, about a week now, uh, and we, we got a coffee machine in the meeting room on Friday, so I was yet to use it. But I had a prospect come in, uh, quite, quite a decent-sized prospect, you know, going to spend a decent amount of money with us, so you know, I wanted to make sure that they had the full distract service. So Tom, my head of ads, went and met, met the gent, brought him up to the office, and uh, offered him a coffee, to which point you know, I heard Tom go, oh, coffee with, uh, with two sugars. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah. I went, oh, don't worry, don't worry. We've got a new coffee machine. Let me make you the ultimate cup of coffee. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'll absolutely love this cup of coffee. So I come up to the machine. And we've got a, uh, is it a Tatamel or something? Is that what the brand is? Uh, and we, won't, we won't disclose the brand. <laughs> yeah, too late. And the reason we use that is because, uh, you know, you just put a, po- a pod in there. You press a button. Hey, Presto, you've now got a coffee. You know, faffing about. So I, I, put, I said, you know, would you like a latte? I absolutely would love a latte. So I whacked the pod in, pressed the water, out it comes. I said, looks a bit too, uh, looks a bit too um, like weak, but like, let me know how it, how it tastes. And he drank it and goes, tastes a bit funny, but yeah, absolutely perfect. Thought nothing of it, right, until the end of the meeting where I walk him out and I go, yeah, thanks so much for coming. And he goes, thanks for the latte. And I went, no worries, mate, and then left. And as I was walking back to the office, I thought, that's a really weird thing to say when like had a meeting with someone. You don't say, oh, thanks for the meeting. You say, thanks for the latte. I mean, it's just a bit of a weird comment, right? So I thought, why would he say that? And, you know, like anything, it always sparks these thought process in your head. of like, why would someone say that comment? And I instantly thought, maybe the coffee was crap. Like, it was just <laughs> bad coffee. Because he did say it tasted a bit funny. So I went back to the coffee machine. And on the bottom of his cup, it was just like white. It was like just like milk, basically. I thought, that's really weird to have the top of it milky, the bottom of it milky. Like, where the hell was the coffee in it? So I turned the, the pack around, and it goes, don't forget to add a coffee pod. Well, I did forget to add a coffee pod. So the guy literally drank hot milk 
for the whole meeting and didn't say anything. Like, he didn't say anything. He just, like, drank his hot milk, left, and said, thanks for the latte. And I, as soon as I figured this out, I literally was just laughing out loud to myself. I went downstairs and told everyone, they're like, why are you laughing at yourself? It's really weird. And I was like, no, you need to understand why. And I told the story. And honestly, I've been absolutely pissing myself every time I've seen this machine. Like, I literally gave a client hot milk. <laughs> it's like something you give a toddler. Like, do you want some hot milk to feel soothed? So, I, really, I really hope he's listening to the podcast. I hope so. How funny is that? I need. I feel like I need to email him and be like, I'm so sorry for the hot milk. But I feel like it's a bit weird. Ah, something for the next meeting, mate. I might say, do you want to have a proper coffee next time? I'll take the Starbucks or something. Like, I can't give you hot milk again. So yeah, that's a funny one. Anyway, right. Um, life. Shall I, shall I just shoot some money topics? Do it. I, think, I feel like that's the way to go. Do it. So let's start off with staff salaries. Yeah. You, I, I've... We, the, the journey's heard the story before about you guys hiring Ben as the first member of staff, barely being able to pay him, having to do all his tax rebates and stuff like that. But yeah. at its most basic level, what did you do to decide how much to pay Ben? Um, so first things first, we had no budget for staff. Uh, ben came as an interview, we interviewed him, he came in. Um, we had no idea what to pay anyone. We had no metric, we had no one to ask, we knew nothing. So on the on the top line level, it was very much as going, what do you want? And he gave us a number and we said yes. You know, that's literally the level it was at. We had no metric to say, these are our, these are our wage bands. You know, this is how much we pay our wage bands for this job because we had no wage bands. We were, it was our first employee. So we just opened the discussion of, in the meeting, it was very much like, what's your wage expectations? He said the wage expectations and then we kind of counted it. And that's kind of how it, the conversation, because when you have nothing to compare it with, it's very hard to come up with a salary. Most important thing I would say is don't stretch yourself. You know, don't 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 overcommit on the first few because you know you're very you're, you'll be a very new business, very small business, and the smallest upset in any revenue can make that job at risk. So don't overstretch yourself, but have that open and honest conversation with the first hires of look, what are you expecting here? We're a, we're a small startup. You're our first member of the team. And if they say a number that's too high, have that honest conversation back and say, look, we want to hire you, but we can only afford X. Um, so without disclosing numbers, that's basically how it went. It was very much like, what are your expectations? Um, this is our expectations. Can you meet us here? And he said, yes. But the, the key thing with, with, with staff hiring and, and is, is progression. You know, if you can only afford X, as long as you communicate to that person and that individual, that they're going to be at Y or they're going to be this job role or they're going to be further ahead in their career, then then you know, that ambition and that career development is also very important for that person. So don't get uh, locked up with the initial salary or the initial job. Um, try and sell them the progress and the process to move further forward because that, at the end of the day, is what people want. No one wants to come into a job and sit there on a salary that they're not going to develop on. Everyone wants to develop as a person in their career and also as a salary. So if you can say, look, you're going to be at this point, but I promise you that in the next six months, we're going to review this or the next 12 months, you're going to be at this place or the next 24 months, I want you to be head of department or whatever it may be. That that's very, very important. And Ben came to us as a graphic designer, our first member of the team, and now he's a head of creative. So we've really proven with him that you know what we do say was true, like take a punt on us at this, this rate and we will progress you through. Um, and that's very, very, very important when it comes to SAF salaries and career development. And it's one of the things that we're now building throughout Distract with our HR team, which is let's build career development plans for everyone. And it, it's going to be an investment for us and a cost. But if we can help retain staff and make sure that people will develop within, internally, then that's definitely the way for, further forward. I feel like one thing just to add to that as well, you could obviously harder to do with the first few members of staff. But in terms of salaries, 
the culture that you've built across Distract really helps when talking salaries because I think if someone's going to make X here or Y somewhere else, they might take the X here that's slightly lower because of where they're working, who they're working with, who they're working for. And the, and, and the free reign they have. I think that's very, very important when it comes to creatives. You know, we can pay you X. I appreciate you can probably get 10, 15% more elsewhere, but you'll be you'll be locked down in a, in a probably a boring job doing the same monotonous task every single day. You can come to us, we'll look after you, we'll give you career development, we'll give you free reign. You've only got to ask me for anything to go through rather than some weird management structure. And you know you can make the role yourself. You know, um, I think it's very, very important with millennials and, and, and people in the agency world is, you know, where you are now isn't where you're going to end. You know, you can make your, your job or whatever you want. You can, like we've had this conversation before with you actually. It's like, where do you want to go with this? Like, how big a team do you want the, the internal career to be? And we know our own ambitions for this is to grow this team out, you know, to make content throughout the whole team. Very, very important that you communicate that with your staff to make sure that they understand that you're not just hiring them to do a job, you're hiring them to, to create more jobs. Uh, and that, for me, is, is, is the key one. And also, be honest with them like you know let's say sam you know for example on this like you know you're the you're the internal branding guy right now if we go and get three of the people you'll be the head of internal branding like i'm very i understand and i respect people who take punts on us the same way we take punts on them and we'll develop them in that sense you know if you're the first one here and you've you've backed me and i've backed you then i'll back you to lead the team and that's that's kind of it's having a mutual respect with people and it's not you aren't paid to do a job it's a mutual respect that you're paid to develop a team and I'll respect you once you develop that team. I'll respect all the input you have. So it's the same right across the board in every single department. Um, people take, we take a punt on them. They also take a punt on us. You know, when you're a business owner, you've got to understand that, yeah, absolutely, you are paying someone to do a job and they have to make you money. This is how the game works. But they're also taking a punt with their time that you're the place they want to invest their time. You know, so when they come to work, they could be somewhere else. They could be inputting the next 10 years to another company, but they've chosen to choose you. They've chosen to choose your company. And as business owners and operators, it's our job to make sure that we respect that and we help them on their own journey. So career development and progression is extremely, extremely important. And the moment people don't believe they're going to have progression is when they leave. Um, and that's the, that's the problem. And you know, we've, we've, we've definitely lost people because they believed in their role. There's no more progression for them. And in some cases, you can't do anything about that. Unfortunately, that role would dictate there is no more progression for you. But in some cases, you can have that conversation with a member of staff and go, look, this is the plan. I want to extend this team to this, and you will be the main person. Mm -hmm. And that's it's just communication at the end of the day. So that was obviously touching on staff salaries. Let's now move on to the directors, you and Brad, like personal salaries and dividends. I know that you didn't take salaries for the first X amount of years of the business. Like how, how does that, how do you manage to juggle all of that knowing that you're two or three years deep into this, not knowing whether you're actually going to be able to make any money? So the most important thing again is like the same way that I said that staff need to know the journey they're on is the same way as you as a director need to understand what journey you're on. So very important, you know, we're starting out this journey. We can see what we're doing. We're looking ahead and going, look, we aren't making any money right now, but I can see that in five, six, seven, eight, nine years, we could be making some serious money. So we've got to commit right now on the salary we're currently paying ourselves. And the thing that everyone forgets as directors and business owners is that first and foremost, the moment you take the piss, the moment you overpay yourself, you are taking money out of that company, which is affecting the growth and stumping the growth, but you're also affecting the risk of the staff. Now, I will never 
ever put myself in a position where I can't pay staff. Like, I personally would take the pay cut. I would lose money to pay for staff because they have taken a punt that when they come and turn up for work, they're going to get paid for that. So it's my job as a business owner to not take the piss and take over salaries to then so then staff lose out. So we've always paid ourselves um, not a huge deal to make sure that the business in a, is in a very strong position. Because if the business is in a very strong position, my headspace is clear. You know, if it was the other way around and I had squeezed money out and the business bank account was low, I'm at risk now. I'm sitting there going, shit, I need to make this work because I, I've not got a month in me. Whereas the moment you know you've got three, four, five months of runway, you can sit back and go, okay, I can lose this month but still win. You know, you, you haven't got the risk. And the biggest way to win as a business owner is when you've got no risk. When you've got no risk and you're sitting there, you can make decisions that are well-informed, you can make decisions that are stress-free, and you can just attack things. And for me, that is the big one. The moment you're a business owner and you squeeze your lemon, and you squeeze it too hard, you get everything, all the juice out of it, all the, all the money out of it, you've done something seriously wrong. You have to make sure that your, your business is in a good position. Because when that's not in a good position, you're over-squeezing that lemon, you have nothing left for everyone else. Are there any times, though, that being conservative can hinder you in terms of with your money? If, like, if you could make a hire and they want X amount more than you offered them and you can't afford to or don't want to pay them more, even though you technically have got the bank balance there, like, would you ever consider like, over-committing, over over-stretching? Yes, yeah, so you know, um, that's why probation periods are so brilliant, right? Is you can put someone on a probation period, you can say, look, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. I'll pay you this. If you don't do this, you're out the door. Like, you can be very open with people when it comes to that. So, yeah, absolutely. But the, the thing you mentioned there is that by not overstretching yourself or by increasing your dividends or your pay for yourself to a huge level, you've built all that bank balance. I call it a war chest. You're sitting there with enough cash to pay yourself for, pay, the, pay everyone on the team. The way we run it is at least we'll have three months of full business expenses in the bank account, at least. So we literally could lose all of our clients make nothing, make zero pound for three months and still be able to pay everyone for everything for three months as a minimum. Now, if you have more than that, hey, presto, you're even more comfy. And when that person comes through and they're an amazing member of the team, you think they're really going to push your business forward, you can overstretch because you know it's coming out of the war chest. This is you making a big attack or offensive move that's going to push the business further forward. That's then an investment. Yes, it comes out your salary, but you're also going, okay, war chest. Yeah, I've got enough there to do that anyway. This is my offensive plan. I'm going to push the business further forward. So dividends and bank balances kind of ride hand in hand. You know, if you overstretch yourself by taking too much dividends, you'll affect the bank balance, which affects your war chest, which means you can't be as offensive and attacking. I've always said if anyone tries to step on our Lincolnshire turf, which is our 50% of our business, we, we do really well here. We've got a war chest to attack it, and I will sponsor every single event. I'll speak at every single event. I'll dominate the area for six months, and whoever tries to stand up and get their head above the power pit will be taken clean off. Uh, and I've always said that time and time again. We're in a position now where we can defend our territory in Lincolnshire, but we're also in a very good position where we've got the capabilities, the team, the, 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 the war chest, where we can go, okay, cool, let's go attack London. That's going to attack Birmingham. We can attack other areas because we have built the team in the way that that can work. So the bank balance and dividends is kind of hand in hand. You have to make sure you've got your safe at home first, but don't take the piss. Like, you know, um, directors want to take a salary. They want to take dividends. But you've got to understand the way an ecosystem of the business works. It will only keep paying you if you don't overpay yourself. And every 20, 30, 40, 50 grand you can put back in the business and not take a salary, that multiplies. You know, this business started with, I think it was two grand. Yeah, it makes more than that now. And it's all a multiply game, right? So you've got to put more money and more money and more money. And the more you put in there, 
the more things you can do. You can grow the agency's office space. You can hire better talented staff. You can invest in the latest software. You know, so my software here is two, three k a month. You know, so like, but why do we pay that? We know it's gonna, it's a multiplier. The the resources it gives a team can do a better job. So there's there's lots of costs no one sees when it comes to agencies, but it's all about being return investment and, and watching things. Um, so yeah. So these are all like, almost apart from the, the the war chest conversation, these are all safe plays, aren't they? They're basically being conservative, making sure that you're not gonna trip over. You need to make sure that you carry on going for the entire time. You've got you've got time that if you do stumble, you can get back up and not have to worry about it. But what about calculated risks? So I think that every single business owner that relies on one business is a borderline idiot because you are so over-invested in that one area that it could be an issue for you long-term. And when you're employing people, like I said before, like they're taking a point on you. I'm making that conscious effort to make sure they're fine and they're safe and they'll get paid and their mortgage is covered and they can bring up their, their kid and they can pay their car. La, la, la. That's my job. Their job is to come in nine to five. My job is to make sure they can pay to live and eat. So if business turned bad and I can't do that, for me, my obligation as a business owner has failed. So by diversifying and taking calculated risks, for me, it's very, very important. You know, focusing on, okay, cool, we're here with the agency. How do we either grow the agency? So maybe hiring um, some senior talent or maybe by uh, opening another service or whatever, there's a calculated risk there. Or by going into a completely different market that is the polar opposite, that if this market dies, it's okay because this market will survive and thrive. Um, the people like James Sinclair, who he said he has built businesses that fold into each other. So he has his uh, Marsh Farm, his kind of like visitor attraction, but then he'll have nursery and he'll have you know, uh, I don't know preschools or whatever he has, but they all fold in. So they're all, he's basically making his market share bigger by adding different things to it. What we're doing is expanding the business to all services, so a full service agency, but then going, right, What's the opposite? This. Let's create that. So we're making sure that we're we're, we're squeezing the the, mark, the agency world as much as it can be squeezed, but then we're diversifying our risk away from it to make sure that we can make sure we're surviving in bad markets and good markets. And that, for me, is the most important thing: is is taking calculated risk that can keep pushing the business forward, but then also diversifying away from that as well. Um, but to be truthful. If you are going to diversify, I think it's very important that you have a decent management structure in place because if you take your eye completely off the ball of the, of the, of the current business, it could slip and fall and bang its head. Whereas, you know, if you can have a management team in place that goes, okay, your job is to look over all of this. Here's the numbers, here's the figures, you run this company, I'm here if you need me, but my head is right in this diversified place right now to grow that. Because business owners are the best at growing things because they've done it before. Um, and that's just kind of my opinion on the whole thing. And most of this comes down to how much you're getting paid by clients, doesn't it? Correct. So how do you decide how much to charge a client and when do you decide to like step it up, if you know what I mean? So there's a, there's a opportunity cost with everything you do. So when you first start, you have no client. So the opportunity cost is pretty much zero because you just need to fill your, fill your, fill your diary. When you grow and you scale, the opportunity cost is always the next bigger client. So if I take someone at X price and a bigger client comes along that's willing to pay X price, then it, if I've taken on the, the lower paid client, I now can't take the bigger client unless I bring in more staff that will need trading, adapt, adaption, development. So when you're growing, you have to constantly be changing your pricing formula to make sure 
that you are getting the most profitable client that can be serviced at the agency. So, for example, if I'm getting a client that's paying me X thousand a month, but the other one's going to be paying me you know, a lot, lot more, it, you know, as we're scaling, we have to start saying no to the first one and yes to the second one. But over time, you'll understand where, that, where you fit in that price bracket by scaling the company. And that works in every single business. That can be done at hourly rates, project costs, or, or average order values. But you have to be knowing where you are on this kind of um, this line. And, and your aim, game plan as a business owner is to push it up to the more more profitable clients as fast as you can um, whilst maintaining uh, service, expectations, return investment, whatever your, whatever your game plan is as a business owner. Well, expanding on that, it's one thing that I have struggled to quantify is that the clients that you've had for X amount of time, you've just, like, you've increased your, um, the amount you charge. How do you convey and prove to them that there's a reason you're charging more, not just that other clients are willing to pay more, so you need to pay more? So I've always said to uh, our existing clients whenever we were younger and smaller, that I, I almost have like this this kind of like price promise in my head, which is, look, you took a punt on me in the first year of my business when we were tiny and there was three of us in a room. Uh, when If you're still with us now, congratulations, you made a great business call, right? Well done. There may be some slight you know, inflation increases of price, but for the premise, I'm delivering on what I promised. I'm delivering on what I promised because you took the punt and you didn't have to take the punt. You could have seen these two young lads walking into a room and gone, crikey, I'm not going with those. And some people did. But the ones that said, yeah, absolutely, now get the benefit of the experience that Distract has in the agency and the, and the more senior members of the team we have here now and the better agency we are now. So for me, if you took a punt three years ago, congratulations, great business move, because now you're dealing with Distract where they are today. And that's a very, very good proposition for some people. Not some people, I look at what they're paying and I think, crikey, you know, that we would no way would we charge this now. But I still go, you took a punt on me, I'm now going to back that promise. Uh, and what we may do, you know, we may bring in some juniors to work on those accounts to train them through. But the reality is, you're still being looked after by Distract. I'd say it's it's it seems like an almost like an all-encompassing point. It's all down to you back Distract, we back you. It's you've just said it's happened with staff, clients, everything. It's like if if you've taken a punt on Distract, like because a startup agency, like not everyone will, mm. you'll get looked after for having done so. That's what everyone needs to understand in every business and every walk of life. When someone walks up to you and they want to do a business deal, two people are backing each other. Now, if you're a member of staff, you're backing the company. If you're a company, you're backing the staff. If you're a provider, you're backing the client to pay on time, be a good client. If you're a client, you're backing the person to deliver a good job. It's always two people backing. That's how you get a business relationship. So yeah, absolutely. Like It's always two people backing each other. And that's how everything goes forward. Um, but I'm just not the guy that, you know, a lot of business owners would go, right, Pete, you've got to fire your lowest tier of clients. Look at your profitability of them. They're not working. Whereas I see it and go, no, I genuinely, like, thank these people for allowing us to get where we are. And if I'm not making as much margin with these clients right now, that's fine. Future clients, will we will we'll charge what we need to charge. But if you took a point three years ago, and you backed me, and you helped me on this journey, you provided for me when I was getting started, I will support you now. Now, you, you, you may get the entry, like I said, you may get someone who's, who's learning the game, but they're still sitting next to the expert that's gonna work on the X you know, account. 
So for me, yeah, everything in business is backing each other. Uh, and that is a big secret, I think. You know, it's, it's mutual trust and mutual respect for each other. And the moment that respect or trust falls, don't bother, it's gone. It's gone. You know, the, the moment that someone gets slightly snotty with something, there's no point having that relationship anymore. I feel like there's like this preconceived thought that if there's like a marketing team that are hiring out an agency, it's almost like the marketing team versus the agency. Like, oh, the agency aren't doing this and we can do this in-house. And the agency are going, oh, we'd like to do this, but your in-house team are doing this. When actually, if everyone just worked together. The way it works. You know, the, the best accounts we have are the ones where the marketing, internal marketing team know exactly their role. And we know exactly our role. And we speak once a week. And they do what they say, and we do what we say, and you get amazing campaigns. The issue comes when an internal team will be doing one thing and telling us to do another thing, and then they don't do it, or we don't do it, or you know, whatever happens, um, people don't mutually respect each other, and then there's no point. Um, you have to keep close contact. You have to make sure the communication's there. You have to make sure there's mutual respect. You know, some of the worst campaigns you will have is when you've been appointed by a marketing head of marketing, and the head of marketing's left. New head of marketing comes in. Well, they never made the decision, so there's not a mutual trust there, a mutual relationship there straight away, so it's quite hard to build rapport, build trust. It's a slow process. So that's always the case. Um, but, you know, we're grown-ups. We have to understand that that is the way it works and how we build mutual respect and trust for each other, and that is the... Mutual trust, mutual respect, backing each other is the secret to business. doesn't matter what you're in. If you sell an e-commerce, if you sell uh, online products... They've backed you to buy the product. You back them to pay for the product. It's a backing both ways. Learn how to scale that and you'll be fine.